I love that line about how that man, that wretched sinner that was saved, never got over being heaven bound. I love that thought of us never getting over that God was willing to save us. This morning, if you would look with me in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to finish the story of Abraham, at least for our sakes this morning. We've been here for a little while. We're about to begin a, a short series of looking at some Thanksgiving psalms, psalms of Thanksgiving for the next few weeks before we turn our attention to Christmas. So we're not going to the end of Abraham's life here, uh, but we are going much further in his life, and we're going to a text that I didn't want us to leave the story of Abraham without seeing. So let me give you a little bit of a quick catch-up, uh, because when we left last time, right, we saw God making the covenant with Abraham, God promising by his very own Godship, by his very own life, that he would keep all the promises that he made to Abraham. And so what happens after that? Well, the promise to give him a son... God does fulfill that promise, uh, and it's one of the beautiful parts, one of many beautiful parts of Abraham's story. As we now see, because today this son that Abraham and Sarah have is going to play a large part in this text that we're going to look at. Abraham was a hundred years old, and Sarah was ninety years old, and God gave them a son, first son that they ever had together. At 190, not 190, 190. Nothing, nothing too difficult for our God. Look just in, if you have, if you turn to 22 but can see chapter 21 or turn one page back, I want, I want to read to us, I want to read to you what it says about this son being born. Look in verse 5 of Genesis 21. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And you can hear, especially I imagine for those of you here this morning that are mothers, you can hear the joy that Sarah has, that she is, she is holding and nursing a son that she has, God's brought laughter to her. She's brought, he's brought such joy that she's laughed and excitement because she has had a son. And so, so they have this son. The long-awaited child is finally born to them. So they have Isaac. And then, after they've had Isaac for a little while, we don't know exactly how old. Um, a lot of times it's portrayed as he's maybe a young teenager around 10. Jewish tradition would say that in chapter 22, we're about to look, they say that, uh, Isaac was 37 years old. I don't know how old he was. It just tells that some time has passed. And then we'll see today's text. Look with me in Genesis 22. We'll begin in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I want to stop there for just a moment. I know that it's a little bit anticlimactic for some of you that have read this story or are familiar with it. If you haven't, you're probably wondering why I stopped there, but you'll know in just a little bit. But what we see here is given to us as a test. So that this is a test that God is giving to Abraham. Now, can't imagine much of a bigger test. That, that God would call you to sacrifice one of your children to him. And of course, we know, <clears throat> we know the context here. This isn't just one of your children. This is the only son that he's ever had with his wife, Sarah. This is the beloved son that they had waited for so long to have, that has brought them such joy. And, and it's not that God says, look, I, I want you to agree with me, Abraham, that you won't have a son. No, this is after they have had Isaac. He's no longer the son that they're waiting for. He's Isaac, right? This is their son. They know him. He has a name. They've spent time with him. They've loved him. We don't know how many years, but for years they have raised him and they have been with him. And after all that, and after they've gotten to know him so well, and after they've grown so attached to Isaac, their only son, then God comes to Abraham. says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, I want you to offer him to me. I can't imagine what that's like. But I do see an amazing, amazing turn of events for what I would expect. Abraham doesn't argue. Abraham doesn't ask anything differently. No, verse 3 tells us that he got up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took some servants and he went. He went. And and so the question that, that we have to ask, I think if you read this text that we all ask, how in the world... Could Abraham have been willing to do this? Right? I mean, now, obviously, if we think of this as like a fairy tale story, okay, that makes sense. If we think of it just as a test because we know how this is going to turn out, if you haven't heard this story before, spoiler alert, Isaac isn't going to die. So when we know that, we're like, it's not that big. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Abraham doesn't know that this is just a test. Abraham doesn't know that Isaac's just going to be okay. And then Abraham has just been told by God, God that he he has seen the power of, that he's probably not willing to fight against. He's been told by God, take your son and go somewhere and kill him and burn his body as an offering to me. It's all Abraham knows is that's what he's supposed to do. How in the world could Abraham not just protest? How could he not say no? How could he not try to run from God? And there's something early on in this text that I think gives us a a good hint of possibly why it is 
that Abraham is able to do this. And verse 2, the way that God says to him what he expects of him, says, God said, or he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And when I read that text, it's very similar to a text that we read earlier in this story, the Abraham's life story. I'm just going to go and throw all of it down so it'll <laughs> quit falling. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If you want to turn back there, you can. If not, just listen. When God first calls Abraham, this is what God says to him. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now in these two things, there are many parallels. One, God speaks directly to Abraham, right? God calls out to Abraham. And both times when God calls out to Abraham, he does it in a very similar way. Here we say God gives him an imperative. He says, Go. He gives the imperative, and then he gives three times he says the same thing. He just says it more specifically each time. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Every time he gets a little bit more specific. And then he doesn't even tell him exactly where he says, go from those places to the land that I will show you. And now we know how that turns out, right? God says, if you'll do this, and then in verses 2 and 3, he gives him all these promises that God's going to fulfill to Abraham, and he does. And so Abraham surely remembers that. Surely Abraham remembers the first time that God called him out of idol worship, on his own, living in sin, and gives him all of these promises and all of these blessings. Well, we see very similarly the same type of writing here in chapter 22, Verse 2, God gives an imperative. He says, take, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. So we see very similarly, God gives an imperative, and then three times God gets more specific on what he wants him to do. And then he even says here in very similar way, he says, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Both times God tells him which direction to head, but doesn't tell him exactly where to go. He says, go and I will show you where to go. So both times, very similarly in the way that God speaks to him, in the way that God calls him. And both times, God asks him to do a really big thing. First time, leave everything that you know, except for your wife and your nephew, and go to a place that you haven't been before. Here, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. So how, when we ask the question, how in the world could Abraham have been willing to do this? I believe that the answer to that question is because Abraham remembered how faithful God had been before. Point one this morning, they're in your bulletin, if you just want to look there. But, but God's past faithfulness should fuel our present and future faith. And I believe that. If God has been faithful to us in the past, if God has been faithful, then that should lead to us in this moment, whatever we're dealing with, whatever this moment is, should lead to us being faithful to Him, having faith in Him now and tomorrow and the next day. And for the rest of our lives, we should have faith in God because God has always been faithful. And we see that here with Abraham. We know that. Y'all know that. If there's somebody in your life that has proved themselves to be trustworthy, are you not more willing to trust them? 
Right? If there's somebody that has told you that they'll be there at a certain time and they're always there at that certain time, and they've told you that they will handle things, and then every time they always handle it, you're more likely to trust them, right? Are y'all listening? Okay. All right. Just make sure y'all want to sleep. So when somebody proves themselves not trustworthy, we don't trust them. And when they prove themselves trustworthy, we trust them. Well, God had proven himself over and over and over to Abraham. So now here, when God calls him to do a big thing in a way that reminds him of how God had called him in the first place. I believe that Abraham was willing to do what God said because Abraham knew how faithful God was. He doesn't know all the plan, but he knows that God has a plan, and so he's willing to do it, even though it sounds strange. And then the question comes up often in this text, did Abraham really think that he was going to kill his son? Did Abraham really believe, do you think that whenever he was packing up and leaving, that he really thought that he was going to have to kill his son, or you think that he thought that it was just a test? Some people look at verse 5 of Genesis 22 and, and give it kind of as a proof that maybe Abraham didn't believe he was going to kill his son. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, the servants that had gone with him, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And that language does make it sound like, right? He, what Abraham says is, the two of us are going over here to make a sacrifice. We're going to take the wood. We're going to take the fire. We're going to make a sacrifice, and then we're going to come back to you. We, both of us, we are coming back to you. It appears that Abraham doesn't expect Isaac to be dead, that Abraham expects for he and Isaac to both return. And so some people say, see, from that, that's proof that Abraham didn't really think that he was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But I would differ on many reasons. One I'll show you in a minute, but... Just simply by the fact, this dude went on a three-day journey and he took the, the wood with him. It ain't easy to carry a bunch of wood for three days. He went on a three-day journey and he took the fire with him. He took some ropes with him so he could bind his son, which he's going to do. He took a knife with him. This brother expected, from everything we can see, he expected to kill Isaac. He expected to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. And I know I've told you all this before. So I want to say it again just so it maybe seeps in a little bit more. The New Testament really helps to reveal to us many things in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, we have this text for you. But Hebrews chapter 11 helps us to understand what Abraham's thinking was here. In verses 17 through 19 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, God revealed to the writer of Hebrews, who has revealed to us what Abraham was thinking here. Abraham expected to kill Isaac. When Abraham bound his son and put him on the wood and took the knife, Abraham fully expected to kill his son in obedience to God's call. Because Abraham knew, even if I kill him and he's dead, God can bring him back to life. Brothers and sisters, Abraham had seen God's power. Abraham knew what God could do. There was, there was no worry in him. Even if he killed his son, he was not worried. 
Because he knew what God is capable of doing. Now, why is it, why is it that Abraham was so sure that if he killed his son, that God was going to bring him back from the dead? Why was he so sure? He was so sure of that that he told the servants, listen, we're going over there. And basically, without saying it, he said, we're going over here and I'm going to kill him. And then he's going to come back from the dead. And we're both going to come back to you. Why was he so sure of that? How could he be so certain that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. I'll give you two texts that make it very clear. They're both in Genesis, if you want to turn there. Genesis 17, verse 16, speaking of Sarah, God said, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You see, Abraham had had a son. If you don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah came up with their own plan. Sarah said, I'm barren. I can't have a son. Why don't you lay with my maidservant and have a son by her? And so he did. And that was Ishmael. And, and Abraham here doesn't think that he's ever going to have a son with Sarah. And so he says, God, why don't you just let Ishmael be the one? Let him be the one that lives and that you make nations from and that you make a covenant with. And God said, no, Isaac is going to be the name of your son. You and Sarah are going to have a son, and his name is going to be Isaac, and I'm going to establish a covenant with him. The nations that I make from you are going to come from him. God had promised Abraham that Isaac was going to turn into nations, that Isaac was going to be the one that was going to bring all of the offspring and all of the descendants to Abraham. God had promised that. God had told him. Abraham is going to do these things. Similarly, we see in Genesis 21, 12, it says, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, talking about Ishmael, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, and listen to this, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I, Abraham had this son. I don't know how old Isaac was at the time. But I know this, that however old he was, that he had not fulfilled the promise of having nations come from him. He was not married yet. He did not have children yet. And so Abraham knew, God told me that Isaac is going to live. God told me that Isaac was going to have kids. God told me that my offspring were going to come from Isaac. And those things hadn't happened yet. And Abraham trusted God's promises enough. They said, God's not going to break his promise. God's not going to break the promise and turn away from me. So if he said that Isaac is going to do all those things, even if I kill Isaac, Isaac's coming back from the dead because God still has those promises to fulfill. He knew that God was going to do what God said he was going to do, so he didn't worry. He didn't worry about him messing up the plan, him getting in the way. If I kill Isaac, then God can't fulfill his promises. No, he knew that God was going to fulfill his promises. That's point two. Abraham trusted God's promises because God always keeps his promises. Abraham would kill his son because he knew that God had promised that his son was going to live. So he knew, even if I kill him, God's going to bring him back to life. God has promised these things. And God has also promised me that if he breaks his promises, he'll quit being God. 
and he can't quit being God. So Abraham knew. He had no worry. He had no fear that his son would not live. So look in verse 10. Let's pick back up in the text, Genesis 22, and see what happens. It says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So this is a redundant question to ask. But did God keep his promise that Isaac would live so that he could fulfill promises through Isaac? Yes, I know it's silly for me to ask, did God keep his promise? Because he always keeps his promises. But did he hear? Absolutely. Again, he kept his promise. Now, it didn't work out the way Abraham thought. That's happened lots of times in this story. It's happened a lot of times in my life. It didn't, ha- it didn't work out the way he thought. He thought, I'm going to kill Isaac, and God's going to bring him back from the dead. Instead, God stopped him from killing Isaac. He said, I, tr- I see your faith now. You don't have to kill him. I see that you're willing to. And God provided a ram that they could use instead. And so sometimes when we're preaching this text, preachers, we can try to make this really dramatic and we can talk about Abraham having the knife in the air and just as he gets ready to swing, the Lord calls and stops him. I don't know if that's how it turns out, but I know this. He had picked it up. He had used ropes to bind his son and put him down. He was willing to do it. And the question is, why? Why was he willing to do it? And I believe it's because Abraham knew that God is always faithful and he knew that God is always worthy. It's the last point. God is always faithful and God is always worthy. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what God has ever called you to give up for him. But I can tell you this, that he's worthy of whatever it is. Abraham knew that, that even this son, the only son that I've ever had by my wife Sarah, that if God calls me to give him up, that God is worthy. Now, he also knew God was faithful. He knew the promises that God had made. He knew that God was going to take care of Isaac. He knew that. He trusted that. He knew of God's faithfulness, and he knew of God's worth. And then we see, in the end, a great reminder. Many of you know, I know many of you have done studies about the names of God before that we see throughout the Bible. And this one, if you... If you know those, that in verse 14 where it says the Lord will provide, that's Jehovah Jireh. That's what he says. He, he names the place, he builds the altar and he names the place Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God sees and God will provide. And I love something that I read this week that I wanted to share with you. One of the commentaries that I was reading about this text, Brother Victor Hamilton points this out. He says, appropriately, Abraham names this place Jehovah Jireh. He does not call this site Abraham Shama, which means Abraham obeyed. The name does not draw attention to Abraham's role in the story. And I thought, what's, what, a, what a beautiful and what a needed point, because when we read this text, who's usually the star of this text? 
Abraham, right? Who's the one that we usually walk away saying, man, I can't believe how much faith he had. Man, I can't believe how Abraham, how faithful Abraham, he's going to kill his own son. Wild. But I pray that today that you don't walk out of those doors or those doors or those doors. I pray that you don't walk out of this building saying, Abraham is amazing. Abraham was faithful. Abraham was... I pray that you walk out of here saying, God is faithful. Why did Abraham have such faith? Because God had been faithful in the past. It's the only reason he had that kind of faith. Why was Abraham here in the first place? Because God had called him whenever he didn't expect it and when he didn't deserve it. God called him out of idol worship and called him to leave the place of worshiping idols and to leave there and to go to the promised land. God had given him the son that he was here offering as a sacrifice. God had given him everything that he had. Without God, Abraham was nothing. Abraham didn't have this son. Abraham wasn't here. Abraham was in a place of idol worship. Without God being faithful time and time and time again, Abraham wouldn't have had the faith that he had, I believe, fully to take his son and offer him. This isn't a story about Abraham. It's a story about God, and Abraham makes that clear. He doesn't name the place about him. He doesn't say, I'm going to name this place so everybody knows what I did. He says, I'm going to name this place so everybody knows what God did. God gave me the son that I was going to offer, and then God stopped me from killing the son and gave me a ram to offer in his place. It's a story about God, just like all the stories in the Scripture. Just like your story and just like my story. They're not stories about us. 10,000 years from now, nobody's going to talk about Zach Kilpatrick, but I pray that they're still talking about the amazing things that God has done. Because God is faithful. And because God is worthy. So there are so many parallels between Abraham's story here and our story. If we have faith, we only have faith because God's been faithful, because God has allowed us to trust Him. He has showed us that He is trustworthy, and that's why we trust Him. He has told us in His Scriptures that He's trustworthy, and that's why we trust Him. We were lost sinners, undeserving of God, whenever He called us, when He made a way for us to be saved. He's the one that called us out of worshiping idols and worshiping ourselves and worshiping money and worshiping fame. He's the one that called us out of there. Without Him calling us, we'd still be there. You and I wouldn't be here this morning. We're not here because we're good people. We're here because God has saved us from who we used to be. It's the only reason we're not who we used to be. It's all about Him. In Abraham's story, there's, there's an only son that's offered as a sacrifice. And in our story, there's an only son that's offered as a sacrifice. Except in our story, the only son is Jesus. God took his only son, whom he loved, and offered him as a sacrifice. But whenever the Romans held the, held the spikes up and got ready to hit, God didn't say, whoa, 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 wait, stop. No, God let him drive him in. And God let him put him on the cross. And God let His Son die as the sacrifice. The thing that seems so amazing that Abraham would be willing to do but didn't have to, God was not only willing to, but God did. He offered His Son as a sacrifice for unworthy sinners like me. There's no reason that Jesus should have died for me. Not worthy of that. But He did because He loves us. To offer us forgiveness so that we didn't have to be the people that we used to be. So that we could get out of idol worship. So that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could live in faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have so 
much to be thankful for. We have so many reasons to tell God, thank you. We have so many reasons that we should respond like Abraham did. God was faithful to Abraham, and Abraham said, God can't ask anything of me that's too big. I'll offer my own son to him if he asks me to. I'll do whatever, because God's worthy. But I'm afraid that we've lost that last part. We're thankful that Jesus died in our place. We're thankful that we're forgiven of our sins. But there are a lot of times that we say, God, you can't ask me to do that. That's too big. Don't start asking me, God, to make my finances look biblical. God, don't start asking me to make my spare time be devoted to you and not me. God, don't start asking me that I'd put my reputation on the line by asking me to tell people about Jesus, because if I do that, they're going to think I'm crazy and I'm not going to have the friends that I have. God, don't ask me for those things. That's too much. Abraham says, I'll give my only son if that's what you ask, because you've been faithful. And God's been asked faithful to us, and we say, God, you can't have these things. They're off limits. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this text calls you like it has called me this week, to respond in faithfulness, that there's nothing that God can ask you to do or give to him that he's not worthy of, that he's not proven himself faithful, that he would do better with it than we would anyways. I pray that we'd be willing to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning.